0: Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network.
1: Here's your host, Mike Adams.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture, coming to you today from uh, Northern Illinois, Batavia. Studios of this week in agribusiness. I'll be co-hosting with Max Armstrong uh, this weekend on the TV show. But here on uh, Adams on Agriculture today, busy, busy program. We'll talk with the president and CEO of the American Farmland Trust. Talk about the concern over the growing loss of farmland in this uh, in this country. The number of acres is pretty staggering, really. How can uh, the Farm Bill address that? We'll talk about that on today's program. we we'll are going to talk markets with Clayton Pope from. Uh, Clayton Pope Commodities, Champaign, Illinois, and we'll talk about the uh, biofuels decision uh, by the White House uh, this week with Todd Neely from DTN. But speaking of DTN, Chris Clayton joins us now. And Chris, uh, let's see, biofuels, trade, farm bill, there are a few things going on right now.
3: Yeah, it seems to be a lot of stuff up in the air, uh, Mike, Uh, a lot of balls moving, basically. How are you today?
2: Do, doing good uh on, on this trade front um well wow, we're going into another big trade meeting uh, the G7 meeting and um you, we try to follow uh you know the path or the course that this administration wants to take on trade. And the president keeps talking about how bad our trade deals are right now, and and we're going to get better ones. Uh, But uh, when they sit down and talk, with the tariffs and everything, it's going to be uh, uh, kind of a contentious uh, type of atmosphere, I would think.
3: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how other leaders uh, interact with uh, the president uh, uh, on this situation because pretty much – Most of the G7 leaders have been affected by these uh, tariffs in some way. How they respond to him uh, and whether, at least in sitting down and talking amongst one another, they're able to uh, to work something out informally um, remains to be seen. But there certainly will be a lot of people watching this one and uh, the interactions with everybody.
2: What what, are your, what is your take, and what are you hearing from others when we hear the President talk again about not pulling out of NAFTA, but wanting to negotiate separately with Mexico and Canada rather than all three countries at one time?
3: Well, I haven't seen any specific response from Canada and Mexico on that, uh, and I should say I've basically been uh, traveling a little bit this week to uh, do a few feature pieces. But uh, I haven't seen anything reaction from Canada or Mexico, but I can't imagine that they're going to want to separately negotiate something because this is a three-way trade deal. Um, Whatever happens with uh, Mexico is somehow going to affect Canada and vice versa. So it seems to me that, you know, but it seems like what the administration wants changes from week to week, and uh, I imagine this has got to be uh, pretty frustrating for both the Canadians and the Mexicans. It was interesting, though, that Justin Trudeau, uh, the Canadian prime minister, did say, give a little bit of indication that uh, they were willing, Canada was willing to give up a little bit of uh, dairy trade to the U.S., and um, that at least is uh, a little bit of... um, crack in uh, in that uh, wall that uh, they have when it comes to our dairy uh, products.
2: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and and what uh, just might be offered as far as uh, Canadian access for U.S. dairy. Meanwhile, as pork producers are gathered this week, many of them in Iowa for World Pork Expo there's an industry that's really feeling the brunt of all these trade tensions and tariffs and duties. Uh, boy, the pork industry right at the, the top of the list uh, for uh, already feeling some pinch in the hurt on this.
3: Yeah, you know, China put a 20% tariff, which largely affects uh, exports from Smithfield Foods. Smithfield is the, uh, you know, t- three-fourths of our, exports from the U.S. to China. Pork exports are from Smithfield Foods, so uh, it kind of directly affects them. And now, of course, uh, Mexico is uh, pushing tariffs that will become even higher in July on our pork products as well. In the meantime, Mexico also has cut a trade deal with um, the European Union and uh, the EU, but also does a lot of pork exports. So you fear some uh, potential market risks uh, going on there if um, our products shut down a little bit and then uh, we start seeing more flow of uh, European products into Mexico.
2: So we we'll have to be watching that closely, but it is a time of real concern, uh, anxious time for the pork industry. Uh, Chris, as we uh, look to the farm bill, it looks like the Senate is, is raring to go with their farm bill. We're getting close.
3: Yeah, they set the date next week, uh, the 13th for markup. They have not released uh, any details of what their bill says as of yet. But um, in the Senate side, uh, tradition has been they generally will not go to a markup unless they know that pretty much all of their ducks are in a row. They don't, meaning they won't have any members with any real huge outstanding issues on the committee, Democrat or Republican. So um, be very interested to see what comes out in the text of that. I think that bill is going to be very different from the House bill, much more bipartisan. And these uh, Senate markups generally will go fairly quickly as well because, once again, you know, they, they try to make sure in the Senate that they don't have a lot of outstanding issues uh, among the uh, other senators when it comes to the bill. Um, one of the things I'm kind of curious about I'll be watching is uh, whether uh, Senator McConnell's language on hemp is uh, is in the bill. He wants to basically open up and uh, ensure that hemp is not uh, illegal, uh, uh, considered a Class 1 uh, drug in any way, shape, or form. Uh, and I'll be watching since McConnell is on the Ag Committee. I suspect you'll see some change there that would uh, open up uh, hemp production in uh, some different ways.
2: And will there be language in there for payment limits, which Senator Grassley is wanting and has been pushing for for some time?
3: We'll find out pretty quickly because Senator Grassley doesn't, uh, doesn't hold his powder very much. Uh, if, uh, I suspect that there will be a little bit tighter change in the Senate uh, because they know that if they went to the floor, without something like this, this would become a contentious issue among uh, senators like Senator Flake and uh, some others. They would push uh, for changes on the floor. So I, I would suspect that there is some tightening of uh, payment controls in a Senate bill that you don't see in the House. Uh, and if not, we will certainly hear from Senator Grassley um, probably pretty quickly on that topic.
2: And we expect the Senate bill will, the, the final bill will closely resemble the Senate bill, so we watch that very closely and uh, how quickly they can move that and still waiting to see what's going to happen on the uh, the House side. And as that, the, the battle continues, the wrangling is still going on there, even though uh, the votes a ways off yet uh, later this month. All right, Chris, lots going on. Always good to talk with you and follow your reporting. Thanks a lot.
3: Thank you, and have a great uh, rest of your week, Mike.
2: You too. Chris Clayton with DTN. All right, a little bit later we're going to talk biofuels and what happened this week with the White House and the deal and the, or the uh, deal that was backed off of. We'll talk about that with Todd Neely with DTN a little bit later. But coming up next, the president and CEO of the American Farmland Trust We're going to talk about the loss of farm makers in this country. That's next on AOA Adams on Agriculture.
4: The mighty Prosaro, king of fungicides. Its fast action and long residual make it the keeper of grain quality and yield. The hammer of head and leaf diseases. The number one reducer of scab. When your goal is greater wheat quality and higher yield, use Prosaro fungicide, and the crown of higher profit will be yours. Learn more at ProSoro.us. Always read and follow label instructions.
5: I live alone. So when I slipped and fell in the kitchen last month and couldn't get to a phone, that's when I knew I needed Life Alert. With just one press of this button, I'm connected to the Life Alert Center where I can get the help I need, even when I cannot reach a phone. With Life Alert, I'm never alone.
1: For a free Life Alert brochure, call 800-981-2126. That's 800-981-2126. Call now at 800-981-2126 to get a free brochure. call to receive a free dvd and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospa hot tub for only a few dollars a day right now they're offering zero percent apr financing with approved credit and a one thousand dollar savings coupon including free delivery free chemicals and a cash discount
6: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on
0: Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams.
2: We have talked before about the recent report from the American Farmland Trust called Farms Under Threat, the state of America's farmland, talking about uh, some very, I think, um, eye-opening numbers. Almost 31 million acres of farmland lost between the years 1992 and 2000. That's a pretty big number. I want to talk more about that with the president and CEO of the American Farmland Trust. John Piatti. joins us. John, thanks for being with us.
8: Well, thank you, Mike. Glad to be here.
2: Uh, when we look at those kind of numbers, I mean, 31 million acres, uh, we're talking about uh, an area, what, the size of Iowa that's uh, lost uh, to production now.
8: That's, that's absolutely correct. It, it's staggering. We knew the numbers would be high when we to conduct this research, but they were about twice as great as we expected. And the reason is that uh, we were undercounting. I think all the other um, studies and estimates were undercounting what we call low-density rural development. It's it's really clear when the, the urban edge expands and 100 acres becomes 200 houses, but it's very different when 100 acres over 10 years gets chopped up into five or ten or, or 15 units that then get removed from agriculture. We were miscounting that.
2: You know, I've heard over the years both sides of this debate. I've heard people very concerned about the loss of acres due to urban sprawl or, you know, development, whatever it may be. But I've also heard others say, mm-hmm. well, wait a minute. We're producing plenty. We usually have surpluses. We're worried about how we're going to move everything. We're, we're growing. So why are we concerned about it? Uh, how, how do you respond to that?
8: Well, uh, my response is that uh, we are blessed in this country to have more arable land than any other nation, but it is it's in many ways our, our greatest resource, and it's, it's not to be squandered. Um, we need it for our, our rural economy. We need it um, for our role in helping to make sure that the world is fed. Um, we are going to want every acre of good farmland we we have in the future. It's, it's too precious a resource uh, to, to lose. And although at times there may be abundance now, uh, the world population is only growing. And I would also argue that there is some land in America that is farmed now that is relatively marginal um, and maybe not ideally suited to farming. And then if you look at climate change, there's land in America that is going that is farmed now that is going to be harder if not impossible to farm in the future so even if we do nothing on on um, preventing um, uh, development and sprawl uh, we are going to be losing farmland acreage in the United States just due to broader issues and we need if anything we are going to need more good land
2: unfortunately we have seen um uh... Because we have been so productive, uh, we a, a lot of people in this country take our our food production for for granted, and probably in this exactly. case, we're taking our our farmland for granted, and uh, uh, we sh- we really need to watch, be more diligent on that, because once you lose that ground, uh, once it's developed. Uh, you don't get that back, usually, uh, f- uh, to turn it back into production, and we have to look to the future, right, of these factors you just talked about. So as we look ahead, how do we address this uh, growing uh, concern of loss of farmland? Uh, one area that could help address it would be in this farm bill that they're working on right now in Congress.
8: Well, that's that's absolutely right. It's it's not the, the full answer, but certainly there are programs um, in the farm bill which help prevent the loss of farmland, and probably the principal one is the Agricultural Conservation Easement Program, or or ASEP. And um, we need to keep the funding for ASEP as high and robust as possible. The uh, the version that uh, uh, Chairman Conaway has has offered on the House side um, returns the ASEP funding to $500 million a year, which is what it was until 2017, we see that as a important but in some ways a minimal first step, but it's an essential step. Let's at least go back to what we were um, investing in the past in farmland protection. And, but we need a lot more beyond that. Probably not going to happen in the current Farm Bill, but we really need to look for a 21st century um, agricultural land protection platform going forward.
2: We'll find out here very soon what's uh, in the Senate version of the Farm Bill, but what mm-hmm. are you hearing there? Are, are they following along uh, the, the House lines when it comes to uh, these programs?
8: We, we really don't know. Everyone is sitting on the edge of their seat. and We thought we might know something by yesterday. We didn't. We, we think now we might learn something today or tomorrow. Um, we'll see. Um, my fear is that there's not quite as much support for the ACEF program and, um, in, in the Senate version that will be coming out, um, but uh, right now it's, it's conjecture. But we're hopeful a really valid argument can be made for that program. It has been shown to pay for itself. Um, it's a great investment. Um, it also is one manner of stemming this loss of farmland, which is so critical to our, to our future um, I'm really uh, increasingly talking about farmland as critical infrastructure. And if you look up the dex- definition of infrastructure, the dictionary, it's about those fundamental things that society needs to survive. And 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 people have, as you said, Mike, have taken it for granted. And we need to change that perspective. You can make that case. And so I am hopeful that regardless of what might come out of in the Senate version for support for the Agricultural Conservation Easement Program, we can make the case that we need to do more.
2: Yeah, sadly, in many, way, in many cases, the things that are most important to us are the ones we take most for granted, unfortunately. We're talking with John Piotti. You're, you're He's the right. president and CEO of the American Farmland Trust. John, you, you mentioned that the Farm Bill is one way to address the, the loss of farmland mm-hmm. acres in this, in this country. What are some other ways that you'd like to see uh, us use to address this issue?
8: Well, a lot can happen on the local or the state level. Um, a lot of states have enacted um, their own farmland protection programs. AFT has been a big part of that over the last 40 years. I think we've helped 29 states. Some of those programs are very robust, and others were robust 10 or 15 years ago, but they've, they've become um, poorly funded in the, in the last decade or so. So one answer is for the states to, to do more. Um, another answer is it's not just permanent protection. That's a tool. It's only one tool, and there are other tools that work. Um, many states have current-use taxation laws that that um, have farms um, pay fewer property taxes, property taxes that more accurately reflect their real cost of services. Um, you know, cows don't go to school. It costs, it costs a lot less to um, um, to uh, pay for the services that a farm requires and say a residential development. And that's a very important tool, which um, in some states, every, every year it seems, um, the current use taxation program is, is one of the things that's sort of looked at as, as maybe a, a frivolous activity. So those are always susceptible. And, and there's only a little bit more than half the states who have that kind of taxation. So there's, there's another strategy um, that, that, that can work. And although in some parts of America it's, a, it's an evil word, um, good community planning and zoning can go a long, a long way um, as well. And uh, that has been done very effectively in, in some communities across the country. And where it's happened, um, everyone seems to think it's a, it's a good idea. It works for all parties. It works for businesses. Um, it, works, it works for local taxpayers. Because it just um, uh, makes sure that things are being done more efficiently. But um, in our in our nation, in many places, there's there's um, really a resistance to um, uh, land use regulation that could be good for agriculture. But all those things can and 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 will be pursued. Um, AFT has worked in this space for close to forty years. But with this new report and the urgency that we're seeing, um, we're going to.
2: I was going to say you've been working on this for a long time but when a report like this comes out showing the loss of farmland uh, how, does that make you feel like uh, you know <laughs> i was gonna say pardon the pun but losing ground in this battle
8: yes well you're absolutely right it's a it's a two it's a two-edged sword here because on the one hand we are losing farmland um over the last 20 years at a rate about 1.5 million acres a year that's That's close to three acres every minute, um, and that's alarming. But I can also look at the 6.5 million acres that American Farmland Trust has has helped permanently protect through easements, the tens of millions of acres that we've helped um, protect through uh, uh, encouraging uh, better land use planning or better current use taxation. Um, I hate to think what the number would be on farmland loss if those efforts has right. not been in place. So um, it's a little bit of a good news, bad news uh, scenario. We we know the tools that work, and uh, right. we just need to do more of it because it's that important.
2: John, thank you for the update. We appreciate it very much.
8: Well, we thank your attention to this issue, Mike, very
2: much. John Piotti, president and CEO of the American Farmland Trust. Coming up next, we are going to talk markets. Stay with us on AOA, Adams on Agriculture.
4: Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of MyPillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. And you can wash and dry my pillow. And here's my best offer ever get four My Pillows for the price of one. That's right, get four My Pillows. Two premium pillows and two travel pillows for the price of one. Order MyPillow at 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. Get four MyPillows for the price of one. Call 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. Go to MyPillow.com and at checkout, use promo code FARM11.
0: Time for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. In the grain and oil seed sector, we've got a mix in early activity on this Thursday, an hour into the trading day. Rallying once again in wheat futures, corn futures near unchanged, and backpedaling in soybean futures. Dryness still a concern in the Black Sea region of Ukraine, central Russia, and southern Russia for reproductive or filling winter wheat. Wheat futures bounced midweek while corn and soybean futures were sliding. July soybean sank Wednesday, the contract. Approaching a test of major daily chart support right around nine ninety two and a half to nine ninety four and a half, falling below that in Thursday's activity right around nine eighty seven, down seven and three quarters. In corn, July is up three quarters of a cent at three hundred seventy nine. That contract within distance of major daily chart support at three hundred seventy seven and a half. Potential targets for the Bears at three hundred seventy two then three hundred sixty six and a quarter. For the Wheats, nine to ten higher in Kansas City wheat, eleven to twelve and a fraction better in Chicago wheat, and seven to eight and a half cents higher in Minneapolis spring wheat an hour into the trading day. Livestock at the and live cattle futures, we're trending steady to 35 cents higher, awaiting cash cattle activity in the central and southern plains with asking prices firm at 115 on a live basis, 183 dressed in the north. In feeder cattle, we are backpedaling 7 cents to 40 cents lower. Lean hog futures, June contract up 37 cents, 78.55, July down 47, 79.47. Cash call on this Thursday, steady higher. The Dow up 87, crude up 90 cents. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. information farmers and ranchers need to know Adams on
6: agriculture
0: now back to Mike Adams
2: welcome back well we're going to talk some markets right now a lot going on with markets and trade and uh, volatility and concerns and tensions Clayton Pope is with us from Clayton Pope Commodities Champaign Illinois Clayton thanks for joining us Um, I mentioned to you that kind of the old saying is that markets don't like uncertainty but as you pointed out in, in in uncertainty and in uncertain times there are market opportunities certainly
7: well that's for sure mike i think a lot of times the, the those unknowns out there sometimes it can add a little bit of risk premium to prices just because the markets try to factor in you know what possible outcomes are, are down the road and uh, sometimes that risk premium uh, boost does present some good opportunities
2: well, let's look at, the uh, on the production side, crops looking pretty good. There are, there are areas that are hurting and already some concerns about some dry weather. And we're getting into that time of year where we're always worrying about, uh, it seems like that next rain, but overall, uh, the markets feel, I guess, comfortable that we're going to produce pretty good crop. Uh,
7: yeah, they sure do. Uh, apparently, I mean, we've got these corn flirting with $4 and, uh, no beans have been on a, a, downward spiral lately too. It's, uh, off to a good start. No denying that.
2: Now there was a lot of talk a few weeks ago. I heard a number of market analysts say they they felt that things were shaping up uh, to be pretty bullish for corn uh, long term. Do you feel that way?
7: The way I've always described it, Mike, is uh, the, the 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 upside potential has not been this great for years, and uh, so in a way, it's kind of like uh, I like to describe it as a pile of gasoline soaked rags laying in the corner. But uh, we need a weather match to light that pile. And uh, I thought we were going to maybe get one by now, but doggone it. These, uh, I don't want to wish a bad crop on anybody, but <laughs> the way this uh, the crop is starting off, uh, according to the crop conditions, and, and you can't deny that they got to be pretty close to the mark, um, there's no match yet, I'll put it that way. But but the potential is there. I mean, we're looking at fantastic demand. I think May was the uh, absolute all-time high uh number for uh actual corn leaving the country as far as export inspections go um you know we've seen a pretty big cutback in corn production in South America. The world carryover in corn is at something like a four or five year low and probably going to get tighter uh, on next tuesday's supply and demand reports so um yeah, I'm still hopeful that uh uh even though corn's getting whacked pretty good here, I mean it's only what twenty five twenty eight cents off its high, which uh, I admit is painful. But uh, I don't think uh, at least the short-term floor is too far away at this point.
2: When you follow the news on a daily basis, an hourly basis, I mean, it can be frightening. Uh, the trade tensions and tariffs and retaliation, and one day things look good, next thing day things look terrible, and you wonder how this is all going to sort out. But I guess if you pull back and take a bigger picture view, the feeling is – we're going to sell this stuff somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it may not be, uh, you know, we may not have the deal we hoped for or think we uh, wanted. But uh, somehow, some way, is is this how the markets look at? It? We're going to sell this crop.
7: Yeah, um, that, that's the thing. I mean, a lot of producers maybe tend to forget that it's their job to not only grow the crop but to sell it, and uh, it's difficult sometimes to part with it, especially when you know you've. you've you've got a lot of fears out there you just don't know if your yield's going to measure up to what you'd hoped it'd be and that kind of thing but uh that is absolutely the the task they have to keep in mind uh sometimes I've been accused of being you know too bearish because I'm always looking for an angle to sell or to or to protect the downside but but that's my job as a risk manager and even though I'm trying to protect the downside sometimes it doesn't mean um I don't fully respect or or even have a bias that the market's going to go higher uh, There's one thing you know in this business is that anything can happen, you know, little stuff can come out of the wild blue uh, that you didn't expect, and uh, you've always got to be looking at the, the downside risk, in my opinion.
2: How do you view, we talk a lot, we cover a lot about biofuels, the ethanol situation, the RFS, uh, have, how do you view, from a market standpoint, the impact of ethanol moving forward?
7: That's a real good question. Um, I put it this way: I've been a lot more of a skeptic on that maybe six months or a year ago than I am now. Uh, it does seem like I'm. Mean, you seeing, you know, Brazil wants our our ethanol. We keep exporting to them. China is uh, definitely increasing their uh, ethanol production capacity, and and they're wanting to buy our ethanol. Apparently, um, so you look at all these things. I, it's it's maybe more of a growth industry than I had thought. You know, I think at this point it, you got all this RFS stuff going on, the debates and so forth. But the bottom line is, there we probably wouldn't be having a lot of those debates if if it weren't for the fact that ethanol is is you know more and more just a, a self-supporting industry now. It doesn't need any kind of uh, uh, you know help from the government or whatever, and uh, it's it's a very viable industry, and it's here to stay, it would appear. And uh, as such, it would seem like uh, an onward and upward, as far as it is you know, as being you know a, a part of the demand picture.
2: Yeah, from what we hear, it it seems like a lot of these countries are wanting ethanol, <laughs> maybe even more than. Uh, it's easier in in some places to to talk about the benefits of of ethanol to people in other countries than to try to get it through to some people in this country. But uh, when you talk about some places like China and uh, those southeastern na- Asian nations. Uh, They're looking to clean up their air. They're looking at a lot of things. This could be big for the ethanol industry and, therefore, our corn market moving forward.
7: I think so. I mean, uh, let's uh, keep our fingers crossed on that. Obviously, the price of crude oil has a lot to do with it, and it's uh, gotten hit pretty hard here lately. Over the last couple of weeks, it's had kind of a nosedive. I think it it dropped $8 over eight days, which is probably uh, close to unprecedented, I think. But nevertheless, it's still... uh, uh, you know, relatively high compared to you know some of the levels it's seen over the last couple of years. So as long as that holds true, you don't get crude oil getting you know, back back below forty or something like that, uh, then I think it's a real positive for ethanol. We're
2: talking with Clayton Pope of Clayton Pope, Clayton Pope Commodities in Champaign, Illinois. So let's go to soybeans, Clayton. Uh, we know we're going to have a lot of soybeans. We planted a lot of acres and expect a, a big crop there. Uh, we saw a lot to China right now with these tensions with China. Are you more nervous about uh, where the soybean price could go?
7: Uh, I'm definitely more nervous about where the soybean price could go compared to corn, but not so much because of the trade issues. And Maybe I'm uh, uh, too too optimistic or naive on that. I, I'm, I guess my feeling is we've already seen a very marked uh, turning away from the U.S. by China. And I realize a lot of that is seasonal, but but, but their, their shunning of U.S. soybeans uh, is undeniable, in my opinion. So you know, even without a trade war, we've already seen a lot of that happen. So I don't really know that that can get a whole lot worse, to tell you the truth. Even if uh, if the trade picture with China did get worse, world carryovers and so forth and beans are tight enough that I would think uh, China is a buyer. If, if they continue to move away from us, other countries would step in. So. Uh, I'm a little more negative on beans and corn, though, just strictly from a supply-demand standpoint. On a world basis, the stocks-to-usage ratio for corn is much tighter than it is for soybeans, and uh, it looks like the trend is going to continue to be that way. And you also have uh, a premium in the, in the bean versus corn-soybean price. I think uh, looking at bean-corn ratio, whether it's old crop or new crop, uh, it's it's above average at this point, meaning beans are more expensive than corn, relatively speaking. And that, at the very least, regardless of any trade issue, I think uh, corn will gain on bean prices, or, or beans will you know, lose relative to corn prices.
2: What about wheat? Even with when we have production problems, it doesn't seem to really help the price because of the, I guess, the world situation with wheat. Yeah, the wheat's really been a wild trade lately. You know,
7: it's up uh, thirteen or cents, thirteen cents or something like that right now, uh, and, and it's been on a pretty good run. And, and at first you look at it and think, well, what the heck, this is ridiculous. We've still got a carryover approaching a billion bushels in wheat. Maybe it's a little less than last year or last couple of years, but, you know, good grief, how much wheat do you need? But there's no question if you look at, like, a stocks-to-usage ratio of the world's exporting uh, countries of, of wheat, uh, it is tighter. So it's all about the margin. You know, even though we still are, are swimming in wheat, both U.S. and world, if if we're swimming – uh, a little bit less than we were swimming yesterday, then that's that's reason for some price strength, and I think that's what we're seeing right now. I, I, I certainly think the upside's limited, but I can't really argue with the strength we're seeing. Uh, but but I would also add that the higher wheat goes, good grief, I would think it would tend to eventually support corn.
2: I was going to ask, do you think this run up can last? Very long, it's got legs,
7: uh, yeah. I think it has legs. I don't like I said, I'd be surprised to see it go a lot higher, but but I, I don't think it's going to nosedive to levels we were at, you know, a year ago or something like that. uh So, just because, like I said, the, the world carryover is a bit tighter, and so um I, I think it could tend to kind of plateau here and kind of go sideways, back and fill a little bit, and that kind of thing, but. Um, in time, I've been looking a lot at like the the wheat corn ratio or just the flat spread between the two, and uh, it's getting a little rich in wheat right now. And again, that, that that'd kind of be a, a buyer of corn, seller of wheat. Tell you the truth,
2: hard to market on a crop problem, a production problem. But is is that what it takes now to get a big upward bump? Is it going to take a production problem for wheat?
7: you for, mean for, or, or for, for crops in general right oh, now markets in general yeah i mean i think that's why the wheat is rallying largely because of uh production issues in black sea area um and, and europe's having some problems and australia is a little under question too so that, that's definitely i think what's motivating the strength there but as far as corn goes uh yeah like i said it's sort of a pile of gasoline soaked rags uh if, if we could get some weather concerns here and you know, it, it's only, what, June 7th, so, uh, you know, this crop isn't made, uh, and frankly, even if pollination goes well, it's not made. I mean, you know, we can see corn eels can definitely uh, take a hit if if uh, the rest of July and or August is extremely hot with a little rain. So, uh, uh, you know, we've got a long ways to go in this crop production process for corn, and uh, I, I don't know, I, I just think that the uh, dynamics of the fundamentals in corn are such that There's not a whole lot of downside right now until unless we jump through several more hoops and and produce, you know, a really amazing crop.
2: Well, things can change, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's the name of the game. And they usually do. But uh, that's the way it looks for right now. Clayton, thank you very much.
7: Well, thanks. My pleasure, Mike. I should add, we have a branch office in the St. Louis area.
2: Uh, My son, Taylor, uh, runs that. Very good. Clayton Pope. Clayton Pope Commodities out of uh, Champaign, Illinois. Good to see you, Clayton. Thanks a lot. When we come back, we're going to talk with Todd Neely with DTN about this uh, RFS biofuel situation, what happened, what didn't happen at the White House this week, and uh, the political ramifications of all this. That's coming up next on AOA, Adams on Agriculture.
6: Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now. And drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way.
5: If you or your family love the freedom of swimming any time of year, If you love sharing good times and making great memories, or if you want one of the best total body workouts ever, then it's time to discover the three C's of your very own endless pool. The first C is convenience. Imagine swimming year-round in your own private swimming pool, installed indoors or out, just steps away. The second C is comfort. With sculpted spa seats and your own adjustable temperature, you can easily escape the stress of your day. And the third C is cost. Your endless pool is an affordable luxury at a fraction of the cost of a regular pool. And here's a bonus C, choice because when you call for your free endless pool idea kit you'll receive information on our full line of pools to suit your budget and location
1: call now for your free information 800-717-0734
4: 800-717-0734 the mighty prosoro king of fungicides its fast action and long residual make it the keeper of grain quality and yield the hammer of head and leaf diseases the number one reducer of scab. When your goal is greater wheat quality and higher yield, use Prosaro fungicide, and the crown of higher profit will be yours. Learn more at prosaro.us. Always read and follow label instructions.
0: Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network.
6: All right, crew, let's get her dug.
5: brought to you by Common Ground Alliance.
0: information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams.
2: Well, this has been an interesting week with the uh, RFS. Uh, We started the week off expecting some big announcement from the White House that, quite frankly, the renewable fuels industry was uh, fearing would be a bad announcement. Uh, Thought maybe they'd get E15 sales year-round, but they would have to also get uh, export Ren credits, which they felt would more than uh, offset any gains in the E-15 expansion. So they were concerned about that. Then all of a sudden, the White House backs off of the deal, says no deal at all. Uh, A lot of pressure from Iowa Senators Ernst and uh, uh, Grassley. But is the issue really over? Let's talk about that with Todd Neely with DTN. Todd, first of all, interesting week how this played out. We thought for sure that announcement was going to come, and then the president backed off. Was it because of the pressure from uh, farm state lawmakers like Grassley and Ernst?
9: Well, yeah. You know, I I think that played into it, Mike. But, um, you know, it really makes you wonder how much the president really had a grasp of this issue because – you know, here we were talking about the release of a White House memo that was going to outline all these changes. Uh, basically, it was going to be waiting the president's signature. Um, and then at the last minute, I suspect that Grassley and Ernst, the pressure they applied earlier this week, obviously got the president's attention. Um, so it's really it's really hard to say, but it it almost appears as if the president didn't really fully understand until he started hearing from from the two Iowa senators. Now. Um, you know, I don't think this issue is dead by any stretch. As you said in your opening, uh, E15 is still not sold uh, from June 1st to to September. Um, And so that issue, Grassley was saying in a press conference yesterday that that's something that they're going to keep pushing on. Um, You know, because you're right, as part of this deal, you know, we would have gotten E15, but it would have been a really tough thing attaching rins to exports. Um, So... You know, it's really hard to say what goes on behind the scenes, but it, it sure—it certainly appears that at the last minute, uh, the president got a full understanding of what was going
2: on. And now we hear these reports where, you know, uh, Senator Cruz and EPA Administrator Pruitt have been seen huddling together, supposedly uh, talking about ways to to still keep working on what they want to see in an RFS or an RFS revision. So, does that—is there any credence to that? I mean, is that does that tell us that they're not giving up and that that Scott Pruitt indeed wants to still uh, come out with something uh, perhaps more favoring the oil industry or more what the oil industry wants?
9: You know, it's really difficult to say, isn't it? I mean, uh, at this point, I think, uh, you know, we're going to see crews continue to put on the pressure. I don't think that this is uh, by any means the end of it. Uh, you know, we still have this, this small uh, small refinery waivers issue out there to deal with. Um, And there's no indication at this point um, that EPA is going to back down from, uh, you know, going back over previous years and maybe handing out some of those waivers retroactively. Um, I think that is probably the biggest issue that the RFS still faces. Um, You know, we've talked before about the E15 market, and, uh, you know, it's not exactly developed at this point. You know, it'd be nice to have E15, but it's still... Uh, it still takes some work for that to really uh, to really be fully realized. Uh, but when you talk about gallons lost in the RFS, uh, the small refinery waiver issue is by far the biggest problem uh, that ethanol faces right now. So I think unless uh, the president can convince EPA and Pruitt to, uh, to fix that, which I think that's been a topic of discussion, um, that's really still hanging out there.
2: And in the world of politics, Todd, you have to wonder now, as we move forward uh, on mm-hmm. these issues, will the supporters of biofuels, Grassley, Ernst, and others, have they used up their political capital to get the, this deal squashed? Uh, and, you know, in the future, is the White House, is the president going to say, well, hey, we gave you that, so you're not maybe not going to get something right. else?
9: Yeah, you know, I think... Uh Never say never when it comes to Senator Grassley, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, his influence on ethanol has has been extremely strong for many years, and uh, I really don't see that changing, but, but you're right. Um, you know, the president's into making deals, and I I think from his perspective, um, he really helped ethanol and agriculture dodge a real bullet this week. Um so, yeah, I, I think when you look at that going ahead, uh, Grassley's going to have to find new ways of influencing, perhaps, um, you know, working with other people in Congress, obviously, Senator Ernst and others, uh, to really keep applying the pressure to EPA. I think that's where this is going to be won or lost, uh, is how much political pressure uh, Grassley and others can, can, uh, can put on Pruitt at this point.
2: Do you think the lawsuits filed by ag groups and uh, the biofuels uh, groups, do you think those sent a message to the White House as well? Do you think that uh, played a part in uh, the decision this week?
9: I, You know, I think that's possible because when you look at uh, some of the things that Senator Grassley has said, uh, he even uh, said during one of his press conferences in recent weeks that uh, someone's going to have to file legal action. Um, he was kind of, in a way, calling for it. Um, So I I think that's Grassley basically saying that, you know, what he can do, he can only do so much, um, especially when it comes to the EPA. And so, yeah, this lawsuit uh, is probably where this is going to be all decided, because at this point um, EPA has made it very clear that uh, they're going to continue to go back and look at waivers retroactively and see if there's any reason for granting those even years later.
2: Yeah, just no indication they're gonna change their course on the on granting these waivers.
9: No, I, I don't think so. And I you know, um you know, obviously Pruitt's been under a lot of pressure, uh outside pressure. Uh it's not real clear at this point whether the president uh really sees what Pruitt is doing as overall bad. In fact I think he's this week he said during a press conference that he uh you know he, he somewhat enjoys and, and understands what Scott Pruitt's doing and so I think um, At this point, I don't don't think Pruitt's job is really all that much on the line. Now, uh, you know, we've been hearing, you know, little murmurs here and there that uh, people inside the White House would like to see Pruitt gone. But at this point, I I think that uh, EPA and and Scott Pruitt will continue to be the issue that we face.
2: All right, Todd, uh, what an interesting week it has been. Thank you for all your reporting. Thanks for being with us.
9: All right. Thank you, Mike.
2: Todd Neely with DTN. We'll have more on this story and more coming up tomorrow as uh, we'll talk with Bob Dineen from the Renewable Fuels Association. Where do do we go now in getting E15 sales year-round? Is that now a tougher uh, lift or not? We'll talk about that tomorrow and much, much more. Hope you'll join us on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Have a great day.